You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person, the funky bat. <laughs> Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't, you can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications from the Council. You may also know me from social media uh, as uh, at Council of D.C. And, of course, you know me as the host of this show. Uh, and today we are uh, very happy and proud to welcome back Ward 7 Council Member Vince Gray. Thank you so much for being with us, Council Member. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate so much. You, you've had me on quite a bit, and I really am uh, delighted that you've uh, opened the door of opportunity for us to be able to continue to convey uh, information to people about what's going on, you know, in the city, uh, but across the entire city and uh, across, uh, you know, across all the areas where we touch, uh, you know, including healthcare and education and the other hugely important uh, issues. So I just want to say thanks for you continuing to uh, be able to make people accessible uh, to us about what we're doing on behalf, on their behalf. Well, first of all, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, the goal really is we don't want it to be gotcha, you know, like it can be on broadcast radio sometime yeah. where you're getting interrupted every five seconds. But we also <laughs> don't want we also don't want it to be just straight the company line, you know, sure. tell me about your excellent accomplishments. You know, we don't yeah. want it to go that direction either. So the idea is to kind of just have a, you know, a worthwhile interaction, hopefully teach people some stuff and uh, maybe dig a little deeper since we have a half hour and not a, you know, a little five minute uh, radio interview. Sure. Um, so topic wise, um, it seems like we're going to be talking about uh, your budget priorities and uh, committee priorities for the, the months to come. Um, so why don't we start with the budget priorities, just because, uh, you know, the mayor will finally be dropping her budget uh, May 27th. That yeah. was- Right so around the corner been, now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's been, you know, it's been moved a couple of times because the idea was always to incorporate the uh, federal COVID money in the budget so the council right. would get a realistic look at what the actual budget will be. So anyway, we're getting the budget on the 27th. So what were your uh, asks to the mayor for inclusion and, and uh, which, if any, do you have a sense will uh, will make it in? Well, you know, we're very hopeful, uh, Josh, as you know, because we've talked about it before, uh, the importance of early childhood education uh, for uh, our young people, our young families uh, in the District of Columbia. So uh, one of the things that I did was I issued a, a statement um, just a matter of uh, a couple of weeks ago, or less now, uh, touting the work that uh, President Biden uh, is doing as a part of his uh, American Families Plan, uh, which is a 1.8 trillion, a lot of money, <laughs> 1.8 trillion uh, spending proposal uh, to address a range of uh, social issues. And um, one of the issues that uh, the president is, uh, is proposing to uh, address 
uh, is uh, early childhood education, and specifically, uh, we're talking about uh, pre-kindergarten. Uh, Josh, you may remember, because I think we've talked about it before, we may not have, but um, we, we actually started, we were the first in the nation uh, to have a, a pre-kindergarten, universal pre-kindergarten program uh, across the entire District of Columbia. Um, when we established this, that was the council chair when we started that uh, effort. Um, what we did was we made sure that every one of our very youngest uh, children, those who are three and four years old, had a chance to go to school. And it was important to me to be able to make sure that people understood that they were going to school. This wasn't preschool. This wasn't uh, you know, any derivative of that. It was ab absolutely going to school uh, every day. And what a phenomenal uh, experience we've had uh, with serving children uh, who are that young and watching them develop, watching their social skills, their academic skills, their emotional skills uh, develop uh, as, as people. And uh, so I'm really, I'm really applauding uh, President Biden uh, for what he's doing. I want to say, way to go, President Biden. You know, you appreciate coming along just a, you know, a few years before now. <laughs> But in any event, he is, he is with us uh, now. And I'm uh, extremely happy uh, with what he's doing uh, to be able to get pre-kindergarten now uh, in the households of all of our very, very young uh, children uh, in the uh, District of Columbia. Um, I think we've had a program now. This will probably be our ninth year uh, that we've established this. And we put a lot of money into it, a lot of effort. Uh, into it to, to try to ensure uh, that our children um, would be able to flourish as they move into an increasingly uh, competitive uh, world. Um, I mean, I, I think we have a duty uh, to make sure that our families have these uh, opportunities and that our children have a chance to be educated in the most uh, effective uh, ways. Um, what Biden is proposing to do uh, is that he's also going to put money uh, in addition to that, he's going to put money into, um, in, into early, uh, early, early education uh, as well. $225 billion to try to make uh, early childhood uh, education much more affordable um, than it otherwise uh, would be. Um, we, we have a lot of people who do this work, and they really work for really poor wages. Just not, they're not paid well at all. And so with uh, the president's plan, this will allow us to pay people better wages uh, than they've been getting uh, to be able to provide uh, child care. Um, this will, um, no one, uh, no one would be paid, uh, they wouldn't be paid anything, uh, they, wouldn't, they would be paid, they wouldn't be paid more than 7% uh, of their income uh, for child care, which is really, a, a huge step forward, uh, Josh. Uh, it is getting us to a point where we can make people who want to work uh, in the early childhood field makes it much more affordable uh, than it otherwise would because we've had far too many people, you know, who wanted to work in childcare and then the opportunities didn't, they didn't present themselves or they just weren't able to work uh, at the, uh, the, the low wages uh, that were being uh, uh, paid to people. So I'm excited about what the, the president is doing. Uh, 
there's going to be a lot of families uh, who will be excited uh, about this. And uh, I'm just looking forward to it. And I'm hoping that uh, we will get enough money uh, to be able to put into uh, early childhood education, uh, you know, through the additional dollars that will be available to us. Um, and so I'm going to um, call on our council colleagues to uh, recognize the importance of this. I really think, Josh, I think we've made the case uh, over time for the importance. We just haven't had the money then uh, to be able to go uh, more deeply than I think we can uh, at this point. Uh, in fact, one of the things that we're, we're looking to do is to invest uh, more money in um, birth of three, because uh, that's, that's legislation that I've been able to get passed since I've been back on the council. And uh, that, birth that, of three that's means where that. funding that's where the funding gap is, right? On yes, the birth of three side. That's right. That's exactly right, Josh. That's exactly right. Um, we just haven't had uh, all the money that we need, all the money we deserve. Uh, to be able to support uh, these very very young children, you know, if you look at the uh, if you look at the uh, you know brain development, for example, of so many of our children, uh, so much of brain development occurs um, before a child, uh, you know, <laughs> before a child is uh, at even the uh, higher uh, developmental uh, levels. So we're looking to be able to provide more services to the very youngest children, uh, so that we will have, I want to be able to say that we will have uh, a program that goes from birth all the way through four and five, and of course, up into the uh, higher ages of uh, education uh, as well. So that's going to be hugely important uh, to me, and I think it's going to be hugely important to so many of our families uh, in the District of Columbia. So this is a, a seminal moment uh, for us, and I'm really excited about it and, and what we can do to be able to make these services available to our very, very youngest uh, children. Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, quizzing you on a, an exact dollar amount, but do you know what roughly what the gap is, what the hole is that needs to be filled in order for us to subsidize birth to three like we do uh, four and five? Uh, it's going. It's going to be substantial. Uh, it could cost us another hundred million, maybe another two hundred million dollars. Um, but if we get the kind of reach support that we think we deserve, um, I think we can do it. And I think we will. I think people will be so happy. I, I work with so many early educators who want to do more work than what they've done uh, up to now. So this will open the door uh, for. Uh, more early educators to be able to do the work that they've been trained to do, the work that they want to do, and the work that they want to do because they want to work with the very youngest uh, of our kids. You know, I've worked, uh, Josh, with a number of people who uh, are early educators themselves, uh, people like uh, Carrie Thornhill, uh, who has been a, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, early educator, Barbara Kamara, Maurice Sykes. These are people who have spent their lives uh, doing this kind of work. And I know they're extremely excited about the uh, opportunities that we may have, uh, depending, of course, on what we get. But it depends uh, so much uh, on recognizing that we can open these doors uh, to children in ways that just haven't been opened before. Um, I know that there've got to be, you know, people around the country because I worked with mayors when I was a mayor. I worked with mayors. And I saw 
Blasio uh, in uh, New York, who wanted to establish a universal pre-kindergarten program. Uh, the uh, mayor of Chicago at the time wanted to do the same thing. But we're the only ones, I, I know of no other state, no other state. We're gonna be a state one day, Josh. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> but I, I know of no other state uh, that's actually doing this. And now we have an opportunity to expand that and uh, reach more children, more families than we otherwise would reach. So I'm ecstatic about it. I mean, I sound, if I sound effusive, it's because I am. <laughs> yeah. Have you gotten, I know it's still early, but have you gotten any early signals from the mayor or from your colleagues how likely it is that we'll be able to close that gap this year? No, I have not. Uh, I mean, I, I think that a lot, that there's, I don't know if anybody doesn't support it, to put it this way. Of course, a lot of times people can support things, but then they don't have the wherewithal to be able to make it happen. Uh, so I'm hopeful that once we get the, uh, you know, the indication of how we're going to move forward, and I hope that the uh, mayor will support uh, dollars being invested uh, in this way. Um, I think we're going to have a wonderful opportunity <clears throat> to serve kids uh, in our EC public schools and in our charter schools uh, as well. We, we, we have universal pre-kindergarten now uh, in uh, our charter schools and our DC uh, public schools as well. So what this will do is allow us to continue to uh, build on our um, uh, universal pre-kindergarten efforts, but it really will too, Josh, work to augment the work that we're trying to do with birth of three. Um, we, we know it's going to cost more than what we have now. We've gotten some federal money, money to be able to support uh, uh, birth of three up to now. But uh, prior to that, um, we haven't had sufficient money to be able to move uh, to the next level. So the opportunity presents itself, I think, Josh, uh, to be able to do more uh, for our very youngest uh, of children and their young families. I just, just think about it that so many of these uh, children are, you know, in families where the parents, uh, the, the families are very young uh, themselves and are looking for the kind of support that the family should have to be able to raise their kids uh, in a way that uh, we couldn't do this heretofore. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, in any event, um, so that's... Uh, what 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 other um, budget priorities have you let the, the mayor or the chairman know that you're uh, pushing hard for? This well, time? one of them, uh, thank you, Josh. I appreciate that question. Uh, one of them is, um, you know, what are we going to do about these food deserts uh, in the District of Columbia? You know, 75% uh, of the food deserts in the District of Columbia actually exist uh, in wards uh, seven and eight. And what's really ironic is we have uh, only, uh, uh, we have, uh, you know, so many, I mean, there's so many food options that just don't exist the way they should exist. Um, again, we have 75% of the food deserts in the District of Columbia that exist. And when you think about the following, and, and it's, it's almost shameful to have to say this, but um, you can go to some areas of the District of Columbia where in a ward, there are as many as 10 full-service grocery stores uh, that exist. What we have, for example, in Wood 7, 
we have three full service grocery stores and we have another one coming with uh, the uh, Lidl uh, that's going to be open in Skyland. And then we have one full service grocery store in Ward 8. That's just unconscionable uh, that we have that many uh, situations that exist where people don't even get the, the, the grocery services that they need and deserve uh, because the services just aren't available. You know, in, in wards uh, seven and eight collectively, uh, we have 160,000 uh, residents. And um, that's a lot of people, Josh, that don't get a full service grocery store available to them uh, at this point. And I'm hopeful that we will be able to, uh, we'll be able to address that with this budget. Uh, you know, I have legislation that you probably, have, I think we've talked about it before, but where we um, uh, had PAYGO money, uh, additional money that's in the budget that got dropped back because of the, um, because of the, uh, the COVID and money we had to spend on COVID. But we've got opportunities now uh, to be able to, I think, put additional money uh, in the hands of these wards that will allow additional services, full service grocery services uh, to be provided uh, to people who otherwise wouldn't have them, uh, those services available to them. So I'm hopeful that in addition to what we do with early childhood education, we'll also do something uh, important for uh, ridding the city of these food deserts uh, that exist uh, as well. And how how is the money where does the money go in that case? Are they just uh, incentives to grocers to come to the ward or are they uh, tax breaks or what? How, how does the, why does it cost money and what does the money do? Well, what we'll be able to do um, based on the legislation that uh, I worked on, happy and appreciate the work of my council uh, colleagues uh, to support this, but um, what this is doing is allowing grants to be made available to uh, grocers and that the city would actually build the buildings uh, that would uh, exist uh, for uh, grocers in the District of Columbia. So we would invest in the building of the buildings and these grocers would come forward and indicate they want to provide full service grocery stores. And uh, we would make the dollars available to build the buildings and then uh, work with them to actually open uh, the grocery stores uh, that are needed. Uh, you know, again, Josh, when you talk about uh, uh, some areas having as many as 10 full-service grocery stores, it's just unconscionable. And then you talk about Ward 7 that has two, and Ward 8 that has one. Uh, and then uh, Lidl, which is a new grocery store coming to this area, coming to Ward 7. But we'll have, as a result of that, we'll have one uh, Lidl coming to Skyland Town Center and then you've got one giant uh, in Ward 8. That's not acceptable at all, by no means. Now, I will say that, that you know, I know there's been a lot of hope on uh, Skyland for a long time. But, uh, you know, I think uh, maybe some folks were thinking, oh, it'll, it'll fill a bit of the retail and restaurant gap for Ward 7. But I think with the latest news coming out about who's ending up there, it sounds like it's going to be a regional destination. I mean, it has some really appealing uh, um, brands and, uh, you know, D.C. centric uh, businesses coming there. And I really think it's going to draw people into the ward, not just residents of the ward. 
I, I actually think you're right. And uh, I'm excited about the opportunity. You know, Josh, we've got, there's, there's a Chase Bank that just opened uh, in Skyland because of, you know, some of the uh, efforts now are moving forward quickly. We also have a uh, Starbucks, the first ever drive-through Starbucks that's coming to Skyland. Uh, I don't think we've ever had one in the city, a drive-through. Uh, so we're going to have that in Skyland. So just think about that. Think about the uh, new opportunities that are going to exist. There will be additional food opportunities. I think we may have a Chipotle uh, coming there as well. So that, um, you know, in the area of the city where I live, uh, isn't that exciting? Uh, think about uh, where we've got now new opportunities where doors are opening uh, to people uh, to be able to be served in ways that they hadn't before. I've had so many people who are so excited uh, who talk when, when you tell them about the drive-through Starbucks. <laughs> there are... Yeah. I mean, they'll they'll break even just on the council members. That's right. That's right. <laughs> just on me. <laughs> and also, I mean, if you know, we'll kind of see what happens. But we we've talked before on the show about the uh, Logan Circle uh, Whole Foods or Fresh Fields yes. first open. Yes. Yes. Um, and you know that they, they made the corporate may have felt like they were sticking their neck out but once that opened and it went on to be one of the highest yielding uh stores in the entire country i'll be curious to see once these folks that that are opening in skyland are open what their numbers look like and i think there'd be a decent chance that that the sort of less courageous uh, business owners might <laughs> you know see it's not such a risk after all and follow follow the leader into ward seven well, I certainly hope you're right about that. You know, one of the biggest disappointments for me was um, as mayor, we had reached a, an agreement with Walmart. Uh, Walmart was supposed to open two uh, stores. They were supposed to open five in the city. Uh, they opened in uh, down on 8th Street near the government printing office. They uh, were to open in Riggs Park. Uh, they were open on, to open on Georgia Avenue. And then they were supposed to open, Josh, two stores uh, in Ward 7. One was supposed to be in Skyland, and the other was supposed to be uh, uh, on East Capitol Street, uh, very close to where so many people live, uh, so much public housing over there. And uh, what was hugely upsetting and disappointing to, pointing to me was to see what they did. Uh, they just showed up one day and said, um, we're canceling the lease and uh, we're not going to open uh, either one of those Walmarts uh, in Ward 7. Now, what has happened is the, because we, we had done uh, eminent domain to be able to get Skyland uh, done. Uh, but in any event, we uh, have the Lidl that's coming now to uh, Skyland and uh, the Lidl and, and the developers, uh, Chris Smith and Gary Rappaport, uh, they've done a great job helping to move forward uh, with those efforts. But the Lidl is coming to where the Skyland uh, Walmart was supposed to be. And then the other one uh, is just nothing. It's just, it's just a vacant piece of land uh, that's sitting there uh, at this point. And uh, it's really, it's really uh, upsetting uh, to see that have happened and to see people just, uh, you know, with impunity, walk away uh, with no... And you can't tell me they wouldn't have made money. I am absolutely convinced that uh, both those uh, both those WalMarts would have made money. 
Uh, there's no question dealers are going to be make, making money because they're right across the street from where the Safeway is at this point. And then you've got uh, the rent still being paid uh, by Walmart because they have a lease. They are now paying the rent every month. But, you know, when I talk to people, the question I ask is, what the heck do we want with a rent receipt? Rent receipt doesn't do us any good. I can't eat a rent receipt. That's absolutely right. You can't eat a rent receipt. And we want, we want the services. We want the full service grocery services uh, that uh, were to be brought uh, by the Walmart uh, locating there. So, you know, if we're lucky, we'll get somebody who will come along now. Maybe Walmart will come back, you know, but uh, we'll come along and work with us to be able to create uh, the kind of full service grocery store opportunities that we need desperately. I mean, when you think about how many people we're, again, just do the math. Uh, 160,000 people who um, live collectively in Ward 7 and Ward 8. Uh, that's, that's a lot of people in one ward, uh, Josh. And, um, you know, we, we believe uh, that there is an opportunity. It goes back to what you were talking about before, uh, just, just in talk, talking about the sheer number, numbers of people um, who are uh, being attracted to areas of Ward 7 in particular. Um, who I know will patronize those uh, grocery stores once they're built. I don't have any doubt that if, if Walmart had gone ahead and built uh, the stores that uh, we know should have been built, that it would, I won't say they'd be overrun. I would say they would be highly patronized um, with the number of people who would shop uh, in those stores. So. And I mean, admittedly, city city folk might shop a little differently than suburban folk, you know, that right. we may be walking distance or, or a short bus ride from a grocery store. So we might go more often and spend less per trip, you know. So, I mean, of course, and then the product mix we want is different, but I think a smart business would be able to adjust to that, uh, you know, tailor their offerings and and maybe not look at like, oh, per uh her shopping trip, this store doesn't look like they're going to sell as much. They don't get that we go two or three times a week, maybe in the right. grocery store. Whereas in the right. suburb, they might fill the SUV and go home and not come back for two weeks. You know, you have to take that kind of stuff into account. It seems like a shame they didn't. And, you know, past this prologue, when Whole Foods did take that chance, yep. it paid out majorly for them. And that was the neighborhood that, at least at the time, uh, seemed risky from a business standpoint. So, yeah. no, so that's a great point. And uh, I'll tell you something, Josh. I don't think there'll be much of a risk involved in in, in grocers coming to uh, Ward Seven or even coming to Ward Eight uh, with the opportunities that exist there uh, as well. So, um, I'm excited about uh, the the chance taking, for a better way of putting it, um, that will occur. Uh, and I think if we can get some of these grocers attracted, uh, especially towards seven, um, we will have um, a, a major opportunity uh, to be able to move forward. And uh, I'd love to come back on the show when we get our additional, our additional grocers that are willing to come Absolutely. to Ward 7. <laughs> uh, now, with the time left to us, let's pivot from council priorities to health committee priorities. Yeah. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the current news about the status of UMC. 
of United Medical Center. Uh, the council took a pretty um, impactful vote yes. uh, at its most recent meeting um, to put a funding cap, I mean, to maintain a funding cap on spending at UMC uh, and essentially to trigger a creation of a control board. Uh, so uh, what? where do things stand on this? Is this decision going to stand? Well, I think it probably is at this stage. Um, you know, we, we initially tried to turn it around uh, to get folks to see. Uh, we had a vote of seven to six. We had seven votes in favor of doing what we were trying to do, six votes against. But we needed nine votes uh, in order to have sufficient uh, numbers uh, to be able to to uh, to move forward with what we were seeking to do. In any event, uh, the control board has been triggered. Uh, and what you'll have now is a, not only a complete replacement, but a substantial replacement of the board of trustees uh, for United Medical Center. Uh, and uh, some of those folks will you know, include people like Wayne Turnage, uh, who's done a great job uh, as the uh, deputy mayor for uh, Health and Human Services. Uh, we've got Angel Jacob, who is the, uh, she's the, uh, she's not the chief financial officer, but she's the chief of staff uh, for the, uh, for the uh, chief financial officer at the point. So uh, she'll be there. There will be others who will be there. Robert Bob, who used to be the city administrator, <clears throat> excuse me, will be on the uh, control board. So they will have <clears throat> the responsibility for, with the uh, operators for moving uh, forward uh, with the effort to uh, manage the dollars that we're investing at the United Medical Center. You know, one of the things I should have mentioned, Josh, and I appreciate you raising this issue, but um, we are moving along now with creating a really a new healthcare system uh, on the east end uh, of the District of Columbia. Um, we will have a, um, you know, we're going to build a brand new hospital. Uh, which will replace the United Medical Center, uh, which is a really old facility at this stage. It was established back in, I think it was 1965, 1966, way before any of us were doing this, that's for sure. Uh, so that's, that's going to be, uh, the new hospital will be built. There will also be an ambulatory care uh, center uh, as well. Uh, an ambulatory care center will be places where people can go to be served and go home uh, soon thereafter. <clears throat> they won't have to be um, admitted to a hospital, which they could do if necessary, but we'll have a new hospital, new ambulatory care center uh, that is uh, being developed. And for the first time ever, Josh, we're going to have um, urgent care centers. We've never had an urgent care center in Ward 7, and we've never had one in Ward 8. In the entire history of the city, which is unbelievable that uh, we haven't even had those kinds of services uh, available uh, to people. In fact, if we're lucky, we'll not only have one in Ward 7, but we may have two coming to Ward 7. Uh, MBI is coming with, uh, they're working, finishing now, uh, the work on their uh, certificate of need, uh, which is required by everybody to be able to get uh, to provide such services in the District of Columbia. Uh, so uh, we're excited about that. Uh, this is going to do something that's never been done uh, in the history of the District of Columbia 
And I am so excited. I'm working on it since I was the mayor uh, to be able to get a new hospital done. And then, of course, working with um, Rashad Young, working with uh, Wayne Turnage, working with um, Ben Stutz, uh, who worked, worked as with the uh, city administrator, working with uh, them, we've been able to get to this point. Josh, we're investing $383.7 million uh, in the building of a brand new healthcare system. And you know, frankly, and I don't mean to go back over you know, territory we've already talked about, but when you talk about uh, food deserts and you talk about food, man, that is one of the most important ways to address healthcare uh, for people. To get the food deserts solved and to provide a real healthcare system that just hasn't existed uh, heretofore. With uh, the use the numbers I used earlier, with 160,000 people living in Ward 7 and 8 combined, that's a lot of people who, if we get the food issues solved and create a real healthcare system, which just doesn't exist at this point, um, we will be really on a pathway to be able to create just the kind of place that people want to see uh, in Ward 7 and Ward 8 of uh, the District of Columbia. Again, I don't want to recite those numbers again, but those are huge numbers that we talked about. But what isn't uh, isn't one of the major challenges of public policy that there's sort of a perverse incentive system that public officials love new things. You know, Metro loves to expand and open new stations. Obviously, the uh, new hospital is a landmark. But a lot of times that seems to come at the expense of not keeping up with the boring things. You know, Metro's maintenance of its existing system was not where it needed to be. And we're seeing that, you know, we'll get the new hospital in a couple of years, but we need to get to a couple of years from now. Yeah. And I, it's really difficult. It takes a lot of self-discipline because there's no ribbon cutting for keeping the old thing running on fumes until you can transition to the new thing. Right. Um, how, how do you, um, I don't know, how, how, can, how do you think we can get public officials to, to crack down on themselves a bit more and fund the vegetables, the day-to-day, and not get drawn in by the, the glamour of the, the new no, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's a great question. And um, what I'm hopeful is I think people will realize that we now have, for the first time ever, a real opportunity to create a real healthcare system uh, for folks with real grocery stores uh, available uh, to people. So um, we, the, the, the new hospital, when it opens, it will, it will, it will serve, we'll have 136 beds uh, in the new hospital. But we're building it larger so that um, as hope, as presumably the, the, the demand cre is created, um, we can go uh, up to 198 uh, beds uh, to be served uh, in the new hospital. And then with the ambulatory care center also, Josh, um, there will be people who can be served that won't even be able to have to stay overnight uh, in the hospital. So I'm hopeful that people will recognize that we have a real opportunity to create something that just doesn't exist uh, now. Uh, you know, you mentioned you know, using Metro as an example, which is a great example. Um, but, you know, it's almost as if we've got to create the, uh, the services 
and the Metro at the same time, uh, because there are so many needs uh, that exist. Uh, we have so many people who, you know, who want to get from you know, one place uh, to the other place. Uh, and Metro will help them get there, but hopefully the healthcare service and then we'll have available to people will help them get to a point too where they just don't have to worry about trying to trying to find transportation like Metro uh, to get to another place uh, in the city. One of the things I should have mentioned uh, is that the hospital is going to be run by George Washington uh, University. Uh, they stepped up. Uh, we're working with uh, uh, Ms. Russo, who is the, uh, the CEO for George uh, Washington University. And we're now working to try to get uh, to a, another place uh, to get uh, those services uh, being provided uh, coming across town. And people won't have to catch a bus or catch a, an Uber or whatever they may catch to go to someplace not even in their own neighborhood. So that's one of the beauties of this too. And that is being able to get to a point where those services are being provided conveniently uh, to people because right now there is no convenience. Uh, you know, the United Medical Center, which served its purpose uh, during time, uh, will be gone after two years from now. Uh, when it goes, uh, we are ready to be able to open the door uh, to the new hospital, open the door to the new ambulatory care center. And frankly, uh, we will be able to open the door to uh, the urgent care centers. We should be able to have the first urgent care center finished by the end of this calendar year. And then uh, Ward 7 one, we hope that will be done um, within a matter of uh, 18 to 24 months uh, as well. And uh, we'll be have, have the new urgent care centers uh, open as well. So again, uh, it isn't as if we've got to wait the full two years for the new hospital to get finished, or we got to wait full two years, which would be two years anyway, but uh, to wait a full length of time for a new ambulatory care uh, center, that these urgent care centers will be available to people uh, much more quickly than otherwise would be the case. And, and uh, folks, if for any folks who think that being a council member is easy, I did not envy the vote on the United Medical Center right. uh, at the last meeting because it's a lose-lose. You know, you vote against the increased funding and to stop the control board. Uh, you know, you're supporting health care east of the river, which is critical. You're supporting the labor force there, which is critical. Mm -hmm. But there has been, you know, a ton of spending over there and the results aren't always obvious. But then conversely, you know, you, you shut down the funding and you can seem fiscally astute, but uh, maybe uh, insensitive to the needs of the patients and the staff. So there, there was really no good vote there. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a sort of a lose-lose situation, unfortunately. Well, it is. And one of the things I guess I should point out too, Josh, is that with the COVID, um, the numbers have fallen off tremendously uh, at UMC. Um, they're just not the numbers that you know, have, have come there in the past. Uh, and the revenue, of course, has dropped off tremendously, too. That's one of the problems that we've had um, trying to keep the doors open at the current uh, UMC because the numbers just, just, just aren't there. 
the numbers of patients uh, that have been there historically not there. The other thing that we did too is, you know, we have an operator uh, in the interim, Mazars um, uh, is the name of the operator. And um, they, uh, you know, they hired, uh, they have an operator, you know, CEO of the hospital. And they dismissed CEO because she was uh, actually spending money for contractual services and there were no contracts that had been put in place. So that was just hugely irresponsible. And so uh, I'm, not, I'm not losing any tears over this person having been dismissed, I'll tell you. Uh, so we're, we're just hopeful as we get GW in there to operate the new hospital that we're going to have a much more responsible approach uh, to how healthcare services can be provided. And when you look at, when you go down to GW, down in Foggy Bottom, uh, you see a well-run uh, hospital. And that's exactly what we're hoping will happen uh, when the new hospital opens. Uh, on the grounds of uh, St. Elizabeth's. Uh, it'll be uh, close to the communities that will be served, be close to Fort 7, close to 8. Uh, and by the way, I should have mentioned this too, that we've got a we've got specialty uh, healthcare services that are going to be developed at Skyline. Uh, there'll be 14 or 15 new special uh, services that will be developed at Skyline. And uh, people who have uh, particular needs to be addressed, uh, they will be able to get those services at the new medical building that's being developed at uh, Skyline. And by the way, I should mention this, <laughs> um, we've got Whitman um, Walker, uh, which has done a great work uh, in the city historically. They're developing uh, a healthcare system uh, on the east end of the city. They're going to develop actually medical buildings uh, on the uh, grounds of uh, of St. Elizabeth's, uh, and we we hope, by the way, that uh, Mayor will work with us to try to invest additional money uh, in Whitman Walker uh, to to help them be able to complete the uh, the work that they're doing uh, over there. Uh, some will remember a former council member, uh, Jim Graham, uh, who uh, was uh, he was the CEO of Whitman Walker uh, at one point and did a phenomenal job of, of uh, developing services with Whitman Walker. Max Robinson Center, um, which is located right now on uh, Martin Luther King Avenue, uh, that whole operation uh, will be moving uh, to the grounds of St. Elizabeth's, will be there in close juxtaposition to the new hospital, to the new ambulatory care center, and what a great compliment that will be uh, to the other services that we have um, that, that are being developed uh, on the grounds of St. Elizabeth's as, virtually as we speak. Uh, well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I have one more question for you. Um, people who, who don't visit Ward 7 and Ward 8 don't realize how green it is. Um, lots of grass, lots of trees. Are you worried about the cicadas? Uh, I'm worried about us being able to maintain our greenery. Uh, we have lots of park service land uh, that exists in Ward 7, especially. And uh, we are certainly uh, very concerned about being able to maintain uh, those services for people. And uh, so I am, I am concerned about that. And I think we're going to be able to maintain that. I'm looking forward to it. And I certainly, as one who's a, a, a real environmentalist, 
my, my colleague, Councilmember Che is as well. And uh, I look forward to working with her as we try to work hard to maintain the greenery uh, for uh, people in Ward 7. But are you worried about the 17-year uh, cicadas? The, the bug? <laughs> yeah, boy. They are, they are, um, they're interesting, aren't they? Yeah. Once every 17 years, we get the cicadas, right? And what a lot of noise they make. Uh, you know, and then they disappear at a point and they come back another 17 years uh, later. So, uh, yes, uh, we're, we're worried about them. I'm worried about them. Uh, worried about the damage that they can do uh, to people and to the property. Uh, but I'm, once every 17 years, I think we can deal with it, Josh. Yeah, it's like if you put that in a, in a novel or in a TV show that there was this weird bug that came every 17 years, no one would believe it. That's but right. It's That's right. the reality. No, it's too, it too is, strict it is a to be fit. reality. So absolutely. And, you know, if I could just say one more thing, Josh, if you don't mind, that is, um, sure. you know, we are working hard to, you know, with, with our kids having been out of school, especially uh, on a face-to-face -face basis, having been out of school for so long, we know that we got to make some investments in school-based mental health service. Uh, and uh, I've done that uh, previously, and uh, I'm looking forward to being able to do that again, hopefully with the mayor's support, uh, to be able to make those kinds of uh, investments. So um, we, will, we will look forward to doing that, to invest additional money in, um, in the uh, school-based mental health uh, program. Um, we have a relatively new director. Uh, she's been there now two years, yeah, just about two years. Uh, Dr. Barbara Bazron, who is the director of the Department of Behavioral Health, uh, which is an entity that I started uh, as the mayor. Um, we uh, amalgamated uh, the Department of Mental Health and the uh, Substance Abuse Services into one, uh, which is an, an increasingly common approach uh, for providing such services around the uh, nation. So I'm looking forward to that uh, support, hopefully, and to be able to get uh, more services available to our young people as they and their families um, grapple with um, grapple with uh, behavioral health service needs uh, that exist uh, in the city. And so um, I, and I hope hopefully we can come back during the budget period uh, Josh, and talk more uh, about those opportunities. Uh, we know that we've got uh, work to do around violent crime. Uh, there's increasingly large numbers of people who are um, engaged uh, in violent crime. You know, we've got the uh, violence interrupters, uh, the, the, uh, the neighborhood safety and engagement uh, services. We've got the uh, Cure the Street program, which was actually started by Carl Racine. And uh, then we got more violence interrupted programs too that we know we need to continue uh, to support. And uh, I'll, I'll close on this, Josh, because I know your, your time is running short. But um, we've got uh, we, we 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 need a, we need more library services uh, in Wood Seven. We're looking to build a new library uh, in Deanwood. Uh, the uh, Deanwood Library is very undersized. Uh, at this point, it, it, it's located in the Deanwood uh, Community Center, and uh, we need a full service library. Uh, and I'm asking for support uh, to be able uh, to get that done uh, as well. And also the good people of River Terrace, 
uh, have been waiting a long time for a recreation center. River Terrace is really somewhat isolated. Uh, there are lots of needs uh, that exist there of young people. Uh, and of course, River Terrace is right there on the Anacostia River. It's a great location, um, but we want to be able to provide the support uh, that's necessary uh, to make sure that the good people of River Terrace uh, get uh, the services uh, that they desperately need. And uh, we, we can create the recreation center uh, that they richly uh, deserve. So, um, we're on so it sounds like we have more than enough for an entire <laughs> yeah just in I, terms of the, the other budget priorities absolutely well we got the, we got the streetcar coming uh to ward seven uh, also uh it's been on h street uh here to four and um what we're looking for is expanding it now all the way out to the uh bending road metro station and uh what a wonderful addition that will be. I've been to Portland, uh, where they have a well-developed uh, streetcar system. And uh, we're looking to be able to do the same thing uh, now, to take it from you know, the Fletcher Johnson area, which is going to be redeveloped. I'm excited about that. And uh, you know, expand it now all the way to the Benning, Benning Road Metro uh, station. So stay tuned, Josh. We got a lot of work going on. Okay, maybe we'll do some transportation on the next show as well. Absolutely, that would be wonderful. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Council Member. Uh, very appreciative. And uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, listeners, remember, subscribe to our podcast. It's on SoundCloud, SoundCloud Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Tune in next time. We're on DC Radio at 96.3 FM, HD4, dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thanks again, council member. Good to see you. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate everything you do. Uh, and I know our listeners do as well. <laughs>